Hi, everybody, and welcome to the Fundamentalists Podcast. My name is Elliot Morgan, and I'm here with Peter Rollins. And this is the first episode we've done. Outside of the house. Outside of the house. This is your new home, Pete. I know. I love it. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank Um, you. Well, I say I love it. That that sounded terrible. Like, I love the fact that we are no longer a couple. I know. But that is the sad bit. I know. That is sad. And it is weird when I'm at work because North Hollywood was closer than... uh, uh, where I am now and so now when I leave work I'm like oh I feel a reflex to go back to North Hollywood which is yeah. just down the street I'm like oh no, no I'm gonna have a long I'm gonna go elsewhere now so well, what was it like on the last because you I moved out a few days before you what was it last the, the last move out was that weird um it was a little weird but not too weird I'm pretty okay with that stuff I told Grace Grace and I basically moved a bunch of stuff around and Went down to the dumpster several times, and then they, the dumpster was like super full and oh, like yeah, that, filled yeah, with crap. Yeah. And so then people are like taking stuff that I'm leaving at the furniture at oh. the dumpster while I'm leaving it there, which mm-hmm. I thought was great because it cool, was like yeah. perfect. Yeah. Um, but then at one point, Grace was like, "Are you how you how are you feeling?" And I was like, um, "I was like, I'm good. I was like, I'm fine. I was like, I just you know, I was like, I'm just gonna keep my head down and get this done, and then we're gonna <laughs> it's like we're gonna <laughs> just do it, and then we're gonna get out of here." Yeah. So that was probably my mo the whole time. Yeah. Was just like if I focus on it on moving and getting everything out, then uh, there's nothing to worry about. But yeah, it was sad, man. End yeah. of an era. You know how much it cost to, to, for me to move? How much, Pete? This is great. So this place <laughs> I'm currently living in gave me $1,000 towards movers. And I thought, $1,000, that'll cover it. I'm only moving two rooms worth yeah. of stuff. My friends would do it for nothing. Yeah. I should have paid my friends half the amount that I paid. It was two $2,100. Yeah. No, it was books because I I did this video of the That's the insane. room and and they gave me like an estimation, but the, when the people came, they didn't realize there were so many books, and I would have boxed them myself, but I ended up having to pay for every box that that Listen, they used on books. Pete, I'm gonna make a joke here. Yeah, let's unpack this. So <laughs> was that the joke? Yeah, that was it. Okay. Uh, but best joke you've ever made on this podcast. Did you? I mean, because they were. You didn't know that they were going to charge that amount. Did they tell you when you signed up, like, this is a per book rate? (laughs) Well, they'd never, and the guys were saying, like, they'd never, they'd never packed that many books before. It's not an LA thing. Books aren't an LA thing. Yeah. So um, I don't think they were. So What do you mean books aren't an LA thing? Self-help books are. Well, I suppose they are, yeah. And memoirs are. Unpublished yeah. memoirs. Yeah, but you you know you don't you. They said that they they knew there were books. They were told that there were books, but they said they didn't expect there to be. Even books. though you sent a video. Yeah, you yeah. you showed them. Yeah, but it wasn't them. That was through some sort of third party. Mm. So the third party said he's got some books, and I think they thought I had like a couple of boxes of books. And so what they did is they had these massive boxes. This is a very engaging podcast today, I think. I'm very fascinated. <laughs> is this I want to know how 20, I want to know where that money went. Well, so right, they didn't have, a, they didn't have enough book boxes. Okay. So they were using okay, 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 boxes. Okay, okay. No, let's, yeah. let's retroactively figure this out. So it was 15, 30 miles of driving, uh-huh. 15 miles from this location to that location, yeah. roughly. Yeah. Being liberal okay so there's gas money for 30 miles for let's say what one truck full one truck full yeah half a truck full okay so that's a certain amount of money yeah those dudes how many dudes three dudes three dudes yeah so three dudes probably lovely guys by the way let's say 15 with tip 15 20 
bucks an hour maybe i don't know what it was but you know what the problem was on our side on noho there, there were two other people moving out and there's one left and so what happened is there was a kind of a log jam there was a bottleneck and it took them an extra three or four hours no no fault of theirs they're literally going we, the lift comes once every 25 minutes but i still don't yeah i want to get to the bottom of this yeah <laughs> i just don't understand how because the amount that they're getting paid plus the amount anyway yeah, yeah. you're right yeah now i'm just too i'm too interested in this thing that is not part of the podcast at yeah. all this is a podcast about that philosophy. might be because you're can i say yes yeah that you're it. a little high oh yeah so, yeah so that's why you're so interested i in got this? a little high no that's not why it was okay. because i told myself to be interested oh oh wow is that what you have to do with me is that what is that what you've had to no, do i've been doing our whole friendship no, i've been doing that with everybody uh yeah no i uh, you know what that is very you that is very you well you know that with anybody you have to tell yourself to be interested but also i already knew the story so yeah. i had to i had to be like oh, oh yeah yeah this is crazy yeah but yeah. I, that's also me back backpedaling um anyway yeah so the first night we were here in your new apartment it was me you our buddy curtis and i did i did act as like um party boy and did give Drug you a small i gave you a small gummy which is a singular gummy is not you know the end of the world but in a classic edible scenario um you guys got we all got too well in a, in a classic elliot move right you said to me these are super mild you won't even notice it but the gummy was not a gum the gummy was this was like an inch squared like i was the biggest gummy not I've a ever cube seen. though it wasn't well okay but it was a uh, it was maybe an inch across mm -hmm. and then half an inch deep yep that's a big gummy and you were like oh you won't even you won't even notice it tasted great though right it tasted great but god it knocked me on my ass yeah I mean, um, and that's the first you know memory that, the that we have here. Yeah. The best nice. thing about it was you were actually funny. I realized that, you know, when I'm yes. high, you're funny. If you can artificially <laughs> alter your consciousness, I can become You can funny. be funny. Yeah. Well, actually, you were very funny anyway. And then that just made I was dying. Every now and then I turn it on. Oh, uh, yeah. You I were a good. good time. You were good. Yeah. Um, <laughs> That's, I hope our listeners one day get to hear such a thing. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> we are here. We're talking about new seasons, changes. This is part of the podcast. It's not just meandering. The theme of this particular episode is um, sort of the feeling that you get when an arc of your life is ending versus when it is beginning and uh and how that affects how much you how happy you are yeah. and then uh, you get sad and then you kind of ebb and flow and how that is all of life yes that's beautiful so there you go that's the fundamentalist that's, that's fundamentalist. The thank you everybody yeah. except pete you threw in we might as well just talk about it okay when before we started talking about this you were like or i could talk about you know in addition to this this other thing and you <laughs> called it the greatest insight in philosophy yeah and it links to the fact that we've moved out we've moved on we've we're doing different things in yes. life it relates I'm, I'm sure to most people out there so what is without further ado okay the, well you know what i and, and without further a why <laughs> oh. <laughs> uh what do you got Okay, and you know what? It's almost, um, this is, a, I'm going to hold off telling you, and that is in itself part of the answer, but I want to start with the idea of joy. Because when you said about this idea, you said, Pete, let's talk about changes. We've moved houses, we're kind of getting into new things. Um, so there's like change in seasons, we're kind of maybe trying to re engage with life and with our work. 
And the first thing I thought was about this concept of joy. So we could start there and then get to the greatest insight that philosophy has to offer, which, which it came to in the 19th century. Um, hmm. Okay. Okay. Joy. Joy. So the, for me, the best definition. You can't just do what Rob Bell does Aha. all the time. That's right. <laughs> you yeah. can't just do what he's doing. We're just stealing his stuff. Yeah. Yes, yes. <laughs> the well, moment Rob says, here's what joy is, yeah. Pete swoops in. I know it's funny actually because I he's so a friend of ours is on tour at the moment. He's got a, a tour called the An Introduction. I to just Joy. put it together in my head, ah, which is yeah, why I'm yeah. saying that. Yeah. Ah, yeah, but I, you know, it like um, there was quite an interesting kind of like uh, alignment of the stars because it was something that I've been interested in for a while, and me and him have talked about it for a long time. Yeah. And uh, yeah, now he's touring. Yeah, you it. guys have very interesting. Uh, in the in the very few conversations I've seen you guys have together, it's always a very respectfully a little different like everything is a little just different for both of you but there's always an interest in what the other one's doing and it's yeah it's very cool it's a very cool um, legit thing i like it a lot yeah and this is where we're probably you know really connect actually on on the on the idea of joy because when he told me about the tour basically his whole thing is I want to look at how difficult uh, life is. Uh, he wants to, there's a book called Ecclesiastes, uh, this Jewish text, and he said, I want to, you know, it's all about life is meaningless. And he says, I want to delve into that and actually show that once you go into that pit, that is where you find joy. And um, I think that he's he's absolutely right. Cool. That, yeah, so, so joy, you know, my, the, a philosophical definition of joy would be, I think, um, enjoying your enjoyment, right? So joy is when you can enjoy your enjoyment. And enjoyment could be described as the pleasure you get from the struggle to, to try and get what you want. So there's a struggle of life and you struggle to get things and you kind of you get some pleasure out of that struggle you get something out of the struggle but the problem is for most of us we don't enjoy our enjoyment so we don't realize that actually it's the moving house that where the fun is uh it's the struggling to get the script made that the where the fun is mm-hmm. that we, we we always this is called the cunning of of desire it's where you don't realize where your desire is. You're always misrepresenting it. You're always thinking your desire and your, your enjoyment is at the end of the rainbow. And because of that, you don't get to enjoy the enjoyment that you're having, that you're actually already ha- So it's like a kid at Christmas. They're jumping up and down going, I just want to get the Christmas, I just, the present. I just want to get the present. I just want to get the present. But you can see that there's this real enjoyment in the waiting for the present, but they don't know it. They're not enjoying their enjoyment. Pete, I'm a star on NBC. Yeah, I've heard. Uh, <laughs> I have heard that this is the case. Uh, and I, I know that uh, as a person who would love to be on NBC all mm-hmm. the time, that that is the dream. It is the utopia. You're finally fulfilled. The and is that I'm what you're telling me? Fulfilled. Yeah. I can tell you with 100% certainty and awareness and awareness of it during the process this is when this stuff becomes real useful i did know that when i was quote unquote on tv or on nbc or doing it quote tv show i knew that when the 
it was happening, mm-hmm. uh, it would not be as cool as the process of it, like yes. the experience of going to the lot and hanging out with my friends and making stuff and punching things up and adjusting for what the mm-hmm. other people, like that was where the true fun was. And yeah, so I remembered having this moment uh, a couple of times where I've, we've been on the Bring the Funny show and it's been real fun. And I remember seeing it and being like, oh yeah, this is like, at, there's that reflex to be like, I should be enjoying this more. Mm-hmm. This is what it's all about. Why am I not feeling thrilled? And then I was like, oh no, I know, like I knew this was gonna be how it is. And so it's become like a non-issue. Like I watched the show from yeah. a very kind of like, detached and also like oh this is fun to see but it's so surreal because it's like oh there it is but oh i remember the the fun stuff has already happened or it will happen again hopefully fingers crossed but yeah i mean often the the people who know best that something won't satisfy are the people who get it so like uh, there's there's people who watch the show bring the funny and some some people who maybe are comedians and are thinking oh if only i could be on that show it'd be amazing um, their, their distance from it means they think that if they got it, it would be amazing. But yeah, once you get it, mm-hmm. you're like, oh yeah, well, the, 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 the real pleasure isn't in that. Yeah. It, it's, it's in, a, that's why, you know, if you're on YouTube, the first hundred views, you're fighting to get a hundred views and you're jealous of everyone else who's got more than a hundred views. But then when you get to a thousand views, you're not thinking about the hundred views anymore and you're jealous of the people who are getting 10,000 mm-hmm. views. And you're thinking that weirdly if there's a there's a certain number of views that you get that you'll be happy that's where you're always misrecognizing the enjoyment but then eventually somebody gets to the point where they go oh it's not about the views it's about the struggle to create content and good content and all the back and forth and yeah. that's the, that's a slight change in perspective or focus yeah i've noticed that um my days are better when I just send like emails and do the stuff, the mundane stuff and the, all the like, and also the kind of putting yourself out there crap. Like you were talking about making a script and you know, we're doing things in that, those areas. And it's like, yeah, it's a, it's a fun, it's a, f- a fun and slow and difficult process of being like, okay, yeah. So I also, you know what, here's another point I was gonna make. This is what I was thinking about when you were talking about, uh, the getting a script made or getting whatever if you can grasp the fact that the final product isn't going to make you super excited or super happy um and then you do want to have the joy of enjoying whatever you're doing then it would lend that would lend itself to then doing every single possible thing you can do to make your goal actually happen right Mm -hmm. so like if you know that um winning an oscar isn't going to actually satisfy you and what's really truly going to satisfy you is the journey to get to the oscar then you would do everything possible to get an oscar you would do the acting classes you would like go to school for it you would seek mentors you'd put yourself out there you do all the things oh yeah oh so yeah so you know what i'm saying yeah i think so because this is this is key let me feed it back and see if you're saying this because i think you're absolutely right because the, here's the weird thing. People, uh, the, Giving up the illusion yes. that that will bring you satisfaction is Helps what will you. actually get the thing. 100%. Because the common sense idea is, hold on a second. If I take away my desire to get to point B, then I'm never going to get to point B. And point B might not make me fulfilled, but it might make my life a bit better. But actually, it's the other way around. So someone like René Girard would say that... Or, um, or people might go, sorry, or, or okay, people yeah. might go, oh, if... If it's not going to bring me satisfaction, 
how I fully want it, if I truly internalize it, then I won't want it anyway. Like I won't want the thing because if you can go, oh, if you can actually wrap your head around the fact that the Oscar isn't going to make you happy, you just will give up. You'll yeah, just so that's, like, oh. the, that's the common sense that people yeah. think. Yeah, so people think that. But like, if I, oh, so I'm never going to fight for an Oscar. But actually, it's the other way around. And the idea is that actually, at, at an unconscious level, desire wants to remain alive. And the way it does that is by not achieving its goals. So weirdly, like if you want to keep the dream of a romance alive, if you want to keep the dream of there being a perfect person out there for you, the only way to do that is to keep breaking up with people whenever the honeymoon period's over. Because by constantly failing to get a relationship, it keeps the fantasy alive that there is a perfect relationship. But when you get to the point where you can say there is no perfect relationship, we're all divided subjects, it's, it's, it's going to be tough even though it can be great, it's, it's never going to be perfect. When you admit that, you can actually be more committed to having a good relationship. It's when you are captured by the tyranny of wholeness, the tyranny of a fantasy of completeness, that at an unconscious level, you're fearful of ever achieving it. And you're fearful of achieving it because the achievement of it will be devastating. It will be um, what's, what can be called a subjective destitution. You will, your life will fall apart. But if you actually loosen your grip on your fantasy, not get rid of it, but just loosen your grip, realize, oh, I really want this Oscar, but it's not gonna, you know, it's not gonna fill my existential lack then you're more free to, to get it. I know I've shown you the Jim Carrey acceptance oh, yeah. speech where yes. he takes the second Golden Globe is yeah. what. But now with this third Golden or whatever it is. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that was genius. I mean, he he, he got so much respect but from me when, he, when I saw that. I was like, incredible. What right? I do love about Jim Carrey too, just as an observer, not as in a way that I like endorsing what he, uh, what he says, but when or in that case i do but when he does that he lets go of this idea that the golden globe he mocks the idea that this thing is going to make him happy but then he also lets go of the idea that he is jim carrey and he lets Mm -hmm. go of the idea that his ego is attached to him or super ego is in control or anything like and so he kind of went he took that little insight and just ran with it yeah like into into neverland yeah and uh it is fascinating because i don't know how that leap happens yeah i mean that's an interesting one to talk about because yeah I did that's a see different that, episode yeah, for yeah. sure okay, but yeah yeah it's very interesting because yeah. it's like he got so much and then it's like he went to a place where it's like oh he's he's in you know somewhere else right now so yeah yeah know. he almost he almost um looked like he had a psychotic break at one stage but but yeah but he was fascinating and what i loved about that <clears throat> about that episode about that speech is that it was very well loved it was very well loved and and i was talking to a psychoanalyst just two days ago and he was saying that because we were talking about how do you how do you help people let go of their dreams in order that they might fulfill them and he said you know it's actually very difficult because people do want to hear it. But I said, well, no, they, when it, whenever it's said in an in a intelligent and funny and incisive way, people get it. And so when Jim Carrey gave that, people were laughing, but they were laughing not just because it was funny. It was funny, but it was, it was a recognition. It was like a, te- uh, it was a truth-telling. He's also saying it from a pulpit of total rich celebrity, and he yeah. also was at that time an icon. Yeah. So it's like... 
somebody says somebody like that says something like that i think it's more well received they're all rich they're all famous yeah. they're all going like it's funny if we poke fun at ourselves although, but although the you, difference was because i you know i you know i don't like the i i'm actually a big uh, you know, I, I think there is a something towards this this idea of the liberal elite. You know, I don't like it. And but for yeah, me, you're basically Tucker Carlson. Yes, exactly. That's yeah. yeah. But so, but when I saw him do it, and I don't know if this is true, but just from the outside, it felt like he wasn't doing the ironic critique. So the ironic critique is you laugh at the silly clothes you're wearing at a fancy dress party while wearing the silly clothes. It looked more like he was actually giving he was actually standing outside like he was actually yes uh, in a critical but place he was his from his from his vantage point yeah. but i think the fact that it was well received is still uh, a still, result yeah but also uh and he uh what was the other point you're saying something like that and you're yeah oh if he was um if it hadn't been that environment and it had been said the exact same way by the same with the same tempo, same cadence, same sincerity, but it was from someone who was not a celebrity and who had yeah. not already actually achieved those things, I don't think it would be uh, well received. Yeah. It reminds me, Soren Kierkegaard once gave classic. a parable. This is a classic philosopher thing. Oh yeah, <laughs> well he, he Kierkegaard was great at parables, but he he just gave a very short illustration where he said like. Um, there's a clown that runs into uh, the tent, uh, the circus tent, and screams out, the circus is on fire, the circus is on fire, and everybody laughs because he's a clown, and they don't take it seriously until everyone dies in the, the burning tent. And Kierkegaard says, I feel like the clown. And um, that's kind of what Jim Carrey was in that situation, is even if he's, sell, if he, if he's yep. screaming, the place is on fire, that we're on fire people were laughing and you're right it's like and and he's caught in the impossibility of speaking as a clown mm -hmm. even though he wants to not so yeah it's a difficult position to be in yeah also from the perspective of people who are watching him going like the i think the the kind of like jocks still want to be considered cool by like the class clown so mm -hmm. it's like when you have something like that people are sitting there like he's hitting them with that whole like level of truth they're like oh yeah i find this funny too i agree with this haha ha. yes i understand that about myself i too am insightful and it's like they're just faking it like yeah. they're just hollywood but anyway yeah. that's not that's separate from the yeah the insight so, yes and what we're talking about yeah separate Which, episode we have yeah. now have a mini episode inside this episode nice well and this brings us to the greatest insight i think of philosophy right and i potentially the, so there, so Hegel basically, right, philosopher of the 19th century, um, 18th and 19th century, he made the claim to reveal absolute knowledge. And this is kind of insane because he basically, you know, when you read Hegel, uh, he's very difficult to read, but when you kind of approach Hegel, it seems like he's a philosopher who's saying, I've worked it all out. I've, I've got the secret and I, I can give you absolute knowledge. And that sounds very laughable especially in today's ears is like you know how can someone think that they mm -hmm. they've seen the answer the truth the absolute but Hegel makes this claim and I think he might have done it I think he might be right I think he might have he might have come across the greatest insight that can never be taught that can never be beaten that can never be uh, outstripped and it is summed up in a phrase substance is subject i thought you were gonna say just do it from 90. 
so <laughs> just do it yeah <laughs> shit <laughs> that would have been good yeah <laughs> substance is subject substance is subject and what that means like and it takes a lot to unpack but we'll just do a little bit is so substance is undivided like a rock or something like that a substance is the stuff that is stuff that is, right and subject is divided right so a subject like me or you uh, the reason why we're a subject is because we can reflect on things mm-hmm. i can reflect on what's in the external world i can even objectify myself and think about myself i can talk about my personality so i can objectify myself mm-hmm, to mm-hmm. do that there has to be distance there has to be what's called alienation i um, I have to be able to kind of have space, a spatial dimension. That's what consciousness is, a type of the holes in Swiss cheese. It's, the, it's a spatiality. If you, if you had no spatiality in your mind, you wouldn't think anything. Like a rock doesn't think it's a rock. Right? Inanimate. Inanimate, yeah. Yeah. But, but the, the key is alienation. The key is this idea that to be a subject is to be alienated, to be able to say I am not you I'm not this sofa I am not myself which is a, a weird thing to be able to say but you can you, you know we all can feel it whenever someone you know imposter syndrome I am not myself what do you mean yeah well you know if, if someone describes you uh, maybe you're getting an award which is unlikely but um, something mm-hmm. like that and you hear yourself described but well here's a good example if you're watching yourself and bring the funny and they're describing who you are you can experience yourself as separate from you so you can say well that is me and they're describing me but also you know that's that's not me that's mm-hmm. i'm something else so that's that's all i mean is weirdly to be able to reflect on yourself so like there's different levels so a rock doesn't have any self-reflection maybe um a, a snail has some sort of consciousness so it has some sense of it, the environment and the human being has self-consciousness so that's another kind of level. Now, when Hegel says substance is subject, uh, what he's kind of saying is that that there is nothing that is not divided. Yeah. Everything. Okay. Right, okay. Yeah. I get it. Yeah. Everything is divided. And, and here's the clever thing. Hegel right? doesn't sound that freaking complicated. I think it. Yeah, but it was very clever. I mean, so, and it took to the 19th century. He wrote a bumper sticker. Yeah. <laughs> he wrote a good bumper sticker. Yeah. Well, he felt it was in Heraclitus, so you can you can find it in the pre-Socratics. Yeah. But okay. That the, sounds like a disease. That sounds like you just said a lot of yes. STDs. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. I've got Heraclitus. Yeah. Heraclitus. Yeah. yeah. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> um, but Hegel was the first to systematize it. But here's the thing. So he did Is that, that his actual name is Heclaritis? Um, I kind of said it wrong now because I've oh, okay. been drinking. Heraclitus. Yeah, oh, okay. Heraclitus. I got my back as a Heraclitus. Yeah, okay, yeah. cool. Because Heraclitus said all these... <clears throat> I mean, he's most famous for saying uh, you can't step into the same river twice. But um, he said it in an even more weird way where he says you both can and cannot step into the same river twice. And it's an interesting kind of philosophical thing if you want to delve into it okay but um, substance is, oh yeah substance so is subject subject so yeah so in the 19th century hegel wrote a series of books that really try to argue that not just claim it but really really show that everything is divided everything that that basically we have fantasized that there there are substantial others that there is something out there that is substantial and hegel used this very sophisticated argument to say that that's a type of fantasy we have 
And then Darwin, who was writing around the same time, a little bit later, he discovers this in biology. Then Gödel in mathematics, which is the 19th century, started in 19th century, discovers it in mathematics. And then Niles Bohr discovers this in the mid-20th century now, in physics. Now, how does Darwin discover it? How does... Well, my, so, what, I, in, what, in what way? So he discovers it. So, so the name for the divided nature of reality in biology is evolution. Evolution is a type of... A, in, in biological creatures, there is an antagonism that is not resolvable that creates... Is it evolution or natural selection? Is it yeah, yeah. So you can say that that is a biological reflection of what Hegel's talking about. And then in mathematics, the incompleteness theorem, Gödel's kind of... And you see this in Bertrand Russell as well, this idea that mathematics is inherently self-contradictory. Um, that, that comes along in the, the very, very start of the 20th century. But natural selection, there is fitter... Uh, uh, populations. Yes. So, or organisms. So they. Well, the difference is right. So within, and this is the interesting thing is for subjects like human beings, we experience the division within us. So we experience our div div mm -hmm. our division within biological systems. The division is imposed from without. So it's it's literally okay. the battle, the fight, the the selection itself shows that. It, like if there was if yeah. if biological reality was whole, there would be no evolution because evolution is in a sense a type of rupture that is within biologic the biological world itself. It is yeah, it proliferates and proliferates yes. and proliferates. Yeah, With, where if it was just a thing that reproduced and then died and reproduced yeah. and died, then it would be yeah. And then technically, even from I think from Hegel's perspective, there wouldn't even be any reproduction or anything like that without antagonism like it it's almost it's it's impo it's logically impossible to think you know it's interesting what else is logically impossible to think is the fact that the this idea of separateness this idea of whatever the division the substance is mm. subject the blah 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 this darn natural selection the and mathematics all that happened around the same time yeah it's so interesting. what are the odds of that huh yeah and also and i have to throw in Sounds freud cosmic because because <laughs> yeah because freud he was the one who discovered sounds that. like the spirit was moving some people something was going on well mm -hmm. you know yeah praise the lord it is, it is within the space of a hundred years you're talking about five major disciplines um potentially revolving around the same idea yeah um, but it's not weird in the sense not that only that and then following that you had an explosion of the industrial revolution and all these that like you had technology exploded oh, yeah. directly after that which i can't imagine isn't in some way um if not incredibly tangentially related to all that stuff yeah no i think absolutely and the truth is it's not that these ideas didn't say exist in certain forms like there's evolutionary theory before darwin there was you know there was this notion of uh, the law you could call it the law of contradiction so in philosophy there's a thing called the law of non-contradiction which basically almost every philosopher um, before Hegel agreed with um, and Hegel was the one who kind of quite even today analytic philosophers um, abide by what's called the law of non-contradiction but Hegel introduced this what you could playfully call the law of contradiction that there is actually a contradiction in reality and um, you only come to it through reason. But anyway, so 
the, the point is that there's lots of like you the, only come to the contradiction through reason yeah so almost by trying you don't solve the contradiction yes through reason you don't solve reason it. is within reality oh yeah exactly because this is this is interesting as Kant so Immanuel Kant <laughs> Gallant, yeah. is a philosopher <laughs> he's the philosopher before Hegel right and he he was a great philosopher and he argued that reason is ultimately lacking because reason will always lead you to opposing views if you use pure reason in philosophy you can argue for freedom and determinism you can argue that the universe has a beginning and has no beginning you can argue that there is a, a creator and there is no creator and so what Kant did is he said reason doesn't work so he wrote a book called the critique of pure reason he said we have to we have to stick with understanding and understanding is basically the sciences. It's where you kind of like, understanding finds unity. Reason just brings you into what he called antinomies. It brings you to logical contradictions. And for that reason, Kant said, metaphysics is a bad thing. You can't, reason does not get you ultimately anywhere. And then Hegel came along and he said, Kant is right. He just made one mistake. When he saw that reason brought you to contradiction, he thought that was a limit. No, that is the highest insight of reason. The highest insight of reason is that there is a type of indeterminacy or superpositioning within reality itself. So Kant just wasn't able to see the radical insight of his own philosophy. Isn't this exciting? <laughs> well, it is. It bums me out because I don't know what the hell else we're going to talk about on this podcast now. Yeah, because that's it. Yeah, that kind of is yeah. it. Like, you did kind of spoil it. You kind of spoil it. That's a spoiler. But here, and here's the thing is, like, I think the next few hundred years is working out what that looks like politically, wow. religiously, It's nice culturally. to hear you be an optimist. Yeah. Next few hundred years. A few hundred years. And that's what I, like, I'm trying to plumb the depths of what, this means i think it's fast i think it's got lots of self-help i mean we, we started it's pure self-help yeah it, I mean. yeah and it kind of is like the yeah. joy thing we were talking about is an example of it is that when you understand hegel you understand that there is no other out there that you can fully please there is no something out there that will fully fill the, your get rid of your alienation that actually um and by the way a lot of uh a lot of the worst types of prejudice are a form of this a lot of the worst forms of prejudice look at some other like some aboriginal group or some sex or some race and go like they're more primitive they're closer to nature they are less divided and actually this is the core of a lot of like racism and stuff is you, you it's called orientalism uh, uh edward okay, Said it's it not this. you can't call it orientalism anymore okay <laughs> yeah so uh, it's asian uh, i don't know so, yeah, yeah that's probably true actually but edward Said gave it that name he said orientalism because what happened in the west is people started to look at the orient as like they are more close to nature they, you know, mm -hmm. more wise and he was saying well no this is this is saying that they are less um alienated that, but, but to that be, they don't experience the same spectrum of human emotions yeah. that you do because they're so simple. Exactly, they're so and even that's it, so interesting. Yeah. yeah, that's real good. But it's dressed Holy up. Holy shit! It's, it's dressed up as a nice thing. So it's dressed up as oh look at them. They're so close to nature. They're so close to the one to their to the gods or whatever. But actually, it's saying that they haven't. That's just reached. a way of you not having to cope with the fact that they have to struggle with the same shit yeah. you struggle with. Exactly, they're just as shit and good as you. You know that that's the kind of wow. Like, that's yeah. so good good yeah so that's the politics that comes out of hegel is like going like oh 
there is this like you see it today in this this idea of kind of what you could call it white man shame where people are going i am guilty for everything but that just makes you a divided subject like other people haven't reached the level where they can be immoral so you're you know so it's like it's this weird thing where you're fantasizing some other group as yeah. being more substantive than you which is a way of actually saying now, they are less than you i'm going to be very candid with you yeah one of my best friends in the world love him dearly uh is goes through phases where he does this he's yep. you know the he has opposed all of this horrendousness on the world around him yeah but i will say people grow out of that right you know that's what I think. Yeah. That's my big takeaway. <laughs> yeah. Like, I think it takes a little bit of time. I think everyone needs to go through a phase where they do view themselves as pieces of shit who are responsible 100% for the plights of everyone else. Because it's like, why not make sure that even if you're wrong, yeah. like, because of course you're wrong. Yeah. If you overcorrect in that area a little bit, you're only hurting yourself is what the, that person would probably say. Yeah. So you go through that, you self-flagellate for a second, and then you move on yeah. because it yeah. can't last in yeah. my opinion. Like, I don't think, well, yeah. I get, so, well, who yeah. knows? We're these, this day and age, but. <laughs> I know, I know. Well, and there's two schools of thought in this. This is interesting. So Emmanuel Levinas, who's one of the great philosophers of the 20th century, he says this. He says basically, um, that we should, everyone is responsible, but I am more responsible than everybody. And so his position morally is that I should see myself as, as more responsible than everybody else. And then there are, there's some like Shizek who would say, well, no, the problem with this is there is a weird form of hidden prejudice. In yeah. This. Yeah. That, that actually. In narcissism. Narcissism, yeah, that as well potentially. Um, totally, like to yeah. to sit there and be like, oh, it's it's on me. So yeah, but, yeah. And the the, the main fear for me on it, but is that is the moral dimension is that you are not seeing the other person as a subject. You're treating them as a substance. You're treating them as somehow less oh, morally responsible. Than and you. that goes back to the racism thing. Yes. The person closer to nature, the person. Yeah. Damn, we're covering yeah. some good ground here, Pete. <laughs> we're back. We're back. Uh, I I don't know what else to talk about. Yeah. But I feel like this is a shorter episode. I'm okay with it. Oh, yeah, I'm okay with that. Because we also had to turn the air conditioner off so as it didn't make a sound. And I'm and too it's hot getting now. really hot. I'm too hot. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. Dude, any takeaway? Holy shit. Oh, yeah. I loved all this. Um, I will start with my takeaway. Yeah. Um, I people have, grow out of it. People grow out of it, dude. <laughs> Just do so it. chill, dude. Maybe <laughs> chill. Um, no, uh, my takeaway is that yes, I, uh, I definitely have. Uh, I'm not. I'm barely drinking right now. Mm -hmm. So because I we had a drink, this has been an interesting podcast. Yeah. And I hope it's been okay for you. Oh, I think I've loved to talk okay, with you great. about this stuff. Great. You know, I just uh, that's my takeaway. Are you okay? That's my takeaway. <laughs> That is your takeaway? Um, dude, no. This is so much I for me. I know a lot. Yeah, this is a lot for me right now. The connection of what you're saying, the substance is subject combined with the racism stuff is so interesting to me combined with the idea of going, no, no, it's all in me. It's related to like self-martyrdom, that kind of narcissism mm -hmm. that comes in there. All that stuff is tied into this idea that uh, you can separate others and put them in a, a simpler category in a way that sounds on the surface empathetic, but it's actually um, self-serving. It's yeah. so fascinating. Yeah. I love it. I've had a great time. Fantastic. Great Five well. stars. 
five stars that's good that's the yelp review yeah um my takeaway then yeah it's just i've really enjoyed this and i i I'm really glad we got in that phrase, substance as subject, because it sounds so hard to understand. But in a nutshell, the takeaway, I guess, is that we have a tendency to fantasize that there is a substantial other, which we either hate or love, who we try to, even our fantasies are related. Whenever you have a fantasy about being rich, for example, it's often because at an unconscious level, you, you think that if you did that, you would be satisfying some big other, whether it's your family or society. It's like, it's not your desire. You're I mean, trying to... big other. I mean, I'd satisfy some others. Yes, other. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And we should do an episode on the big other, actually. Yeah. We'll do that. We should do an uh, episode on the big other, but also all the other others. The other others. That are like, yeah, they're pretty cool. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you not can still so big, do stuff yeah. to satisfy them, I guess. Okay, yeah, anyway, sorry. Yeah. Go ahead. Um, so yeah, we kind of think that there is some other. We don't. It's because like the most, the most, the thing that we want most is the desire of those that we desire, right? So, at a deep level, we are often trying to get the desire of, of the ones that we desire, even if we don't know it, and we think that there's some other out there who we can fulfill or who who has the answer and. In a nutshell, Hegel is trying to help us see that all of us, and in fact, all of reality, is in, in a deadlock. And the deadlock isn't bad, it actually creates everything. The deadlock is what, what makes the world interesting. And the problem is we can't enjoy our enjoyment because we think the deadlock is bad, we try to get rid of it. But if you can enjoy your enjoyment, which means you know embrace your contradiction embrace the struggle then you can enter into joy and joy is a way of living before you die it feels like uh, metaphorically speaking it feels like stepping back and just being just look just if you can just step let go just step back and yeah. be like oh this is all very silly yes then you're having a, you're having a good time yeah it's, it's it's like changing your focus slightly from the object to the aim so the object is a thing you want and the aim is how you get to it that's what i was saying yeah. exactly what i was saying yeah. there you go same thing bye everybody bye